back to Jake's World, episode 3 of Jake's World. I'm your host, Jake Sawinski, and today is 420. So I guess enjoy the blaze. I mean, you're not going to get this episode in time for that, but hey, I mean, every day is a holiday for you guys, right? I mean, yeah, you smoke pot. Do you really have to rub it in our faces all the time? I don't know. I feel like... This should be a holiday for the people who don't smoke and like they don't have to deal with the repercussions of not smoking all the time. Like you guys are always doing it and nothing, it's nothing special for you. So like why can't everyone else who, you know, can't do it or doesn't feel like it's important enough to do it all the time do it without any consequences or whatever. And I'm curious too, like do people in places where it's legal celebrate it openly like i don't know it doesn't matter that was a stupid soapbox but anyways episode three big show for you today uh, i'm pretty excited to talk about the last dance docuseries that aired last night the first two parts of a 10-part series on the 97 98 chicago bulls super excited to talk about that my war with skylight financial continues today i was pretty battered morale was low I only called once, and I got the stupid, uh, the regurgitated message on the the call line. You know, oh, uh, call, vol- call volumes have been really, really high over the last few days, and you will be experiencing longer than expected wait times. Yeah, fuck off. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. So the war will continue another day. I've not surrendered yet. I will get my paycheck if it's the last thing I ever do. So I'll quit rambling about that and let's get to episode one and episode two of The Last Dance. I just want to start off by saying that um, I was a, I grew up a Bulls fan for someone who didn't follow the NBA all that much, if that makes sense. My family's from Chicago, so... They kind of lived in the area when Michael Jordan was going through his hype, his gain to fame, the rise to the NBA stardom. They witnessed all of that firsthand. I mean, I'm 23. I was too young to see Jordan play and or even remember it. Technically, I was alive, but it's not like I would have remembered him playing, you know, unless it was on the Wizards where that really wasn't anything significant. But, um... It was really cool to see the story and how the season was supposed to be set up. I had no idea that that 97-98 season was documented to be the last one they were all together. Now, I'm not sure if that was common knowledge to everybody. I didn't get that message until yesterday. So I thought that was kind of cool to... uh, see what happened and why that riff happened between management and the players and all the different opinions and uh, directions they wanted to take. That was really cool to see how it unfolded. Um, Spoiler, they did win, so sorry to burst your bubble. If you had no idea, well, now you know. Anyways, um, I'm going to break this down, you know, episode by episode, so They kind of did a lot of jumping around, but that's okay. We can just go from there. So here we go. What I'm going to start out with is talking about Jerry Krause. 
Now, I didn't know the story of what Jerry did and what he thought the direction of the team should be at the time. Like, even being a huge sports fan, I never heard that story or really knew about the ins and outs of it. And watching the first episode of that series last night was really the first chance for me to see what happened and get some differing opinions. Unfortunately, he can't talk about what happened because he passed away. Honestly, though, the amount of flack he would be taking right now would be... I I couldn't even imagine how much shit he'd be getting if he wasn't... If he was alive. It's probably fortunate for him that he can't get all that blowback because he looked like a really bad dude. Like, you broke up, if not the best team of all time, a top two or three team of all time, willingly, after they just won two more finals, you decided to pull the plug. This is the last season. Now, did you not like Phil that much? Did you hate Mike and Scotty and all the guys picking on you that much? Did you have short man complex? I don't know. The way ESPN portrayed this documentary really made it seem like Jerry Krause wanted the shine. Now, I'm not sure if that's entirely fair because there weren't a ton of people defending him. Maybe it is that twisted and he wanted... A little more credit where it was due. Because, I mean, he did a fantastic job building the team from 1984 when Jordan was drafted up until that point. He did a tremendous job. He made some difficult moves. Getting Scottie Pippen in that trade in the draft was huge. But, like, something's not adding up. Like, nobody is defending this guy. But maybe I have it wrong. Maybe he was the the little basketball Napoleon. I don't know. Like, the only support he got were, I think it was a journalist, and then there was another guy inside the front office of the Bulls that said Jerry was one of the nicest guys they've ever met. But it seemed like everyone else kind of threw him under the bus. They didn't like him. They broke up the magical thing that was happening. You know, he was the detriment to that dynasty that he worked really hard to build. Now... This is going to be a really popular uh, recurring theme over the entire series is this one question. What could have been? You draft a superstar that his potential has no bounds in 1984. You take your lumps on the head through the 1980s. You're a competitive team because of that one guy. You make a huge draft pick, and you start turning your team around. And you finally win your first title in the early 1990s. And then you win two. Then you win three. And then your star players leaves. And in the two years that Michael Jordan was out of the league, you're still pretty competitive. And then you come back, and you win two more. And now you're pulling the plug. Now, I can see where he's coming from. Being a guy that follows sports all the time, and has watched it my entire life and kind of knowing the business side of it too. I totally see where he's coming from on being like, okay, we need to change course here pretty soon. 
Now, I don't think a lot of casual fans understand this. I mean, passion and loyalty to a team is pretty common everywhere. But actually understanding the sport isn't always there either. You don't have to understand the sport. You just have to understand sports. Because players have rights too. They work a job. They're the best at their job. And why shouldn't they be paid like they're the best at their job? Guys today make 30 or $40 million in a season. And they earn it. Most fans are like, oh, if I made 30 or $40 million, I would do anything. It's like, no, you wouldn't. Why would you do anything if you're not getting paid the right way? You see what I mean? The fans don't understand that sometimes the money and the direction that you realistically need to go aren't always there for you. And Jerry Krause saw that. But I feel like he was too far down the road because, I mean, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were still in their prime. Scottie Pippen played seven or eight more seasons after 97-98 season. Michael Jordan left and came back again and played for the Wizards for another few seasons. He wasn't the same ball player, but a lot of those guys played together as a team Played well as a team, but without three, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, I mean, they wouldn't have accomplished what they did, and Jerry was trying to prepare himself for, you know, the next the next phase, because all good things must come to an end, right? You do have to let go. Sometimes it's just, it's the end, and I think he saw that. But the guys were like, hey, we just accomplished something really special again. Why not give us the benefit of the doubt and go on, go out on our own terms? And I see both sides of it. I mean, personally, just the way Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and all those guys achieved together, I would have let them go out on their own terms. Maybe that was Jerry's personality. He didn't like Phil, or he didn't get along with Phil. He thought Phil needed to go. He tried to deal him before the season even started. And the guys loved Phil, especially Mike. You knew it was the end before it even started, and the fact that they went through some adversity, you know, not even just before the season, but through the season, and still managed to win was incredibly special. I knew before watching that the dynamic of the team was something that was also really interesting, something that needed to be talked about. Like Michael Jordan was this psychopathic, maniacal competitor. Scottie Pippen was the same way. They built off of each other. He was a little more reserved, I think, in the beginning at least. And Dennis Rodman was just a strange, goofy motherfucker. And... I mean, the guy had, like, rainbow-colored hair, but he could ball. He didn't put up a ton of points, but he played defense. He rebounded. He was a stud player, too. And I knew that was going to be what made this team so special before I even started watching it. They had the flair, the pizzazz, all that stuff. Really eccentric and electric group of players. But, of course... 
this wouldn't have been possible without Michael Jordan. And that's kind of what the first episode really focused on was Michael's roots and, you know, his upbringing, his start in basketball at North Carolina. They didn't get into his childhood as much. That was a little more in the second episode. But we're going to focus episode two on something different when I talk about it. Michael's parents pushed him to be the best he could be at anything. And that's exactly how he felt. He approached every which situation, no matter what it was, 100%. Like, Michael is the guy that you should strive to be, but all of us are too lazy to do, or we don't care enough to. For him, it's the exact opposite. Like, if we're motivated by something, we want to go at it 100%, if we're motivated by it. He, it doesn't matter. There's no... There's no question of 100% there or motivation. It's just he's so competitive. That's his motivation. He wants to win. Some of us, a lot of us, almost all of us don't care about winning all that much all the time. And he approached everything he did that way. I mean, getting cut for your, from your high school JV team didn't sit well with Mike. And look what he became. Nobody saw it coming either. I don't even think he saw it coming. Hearing the UNC coaches talk about Mike was really funny, too. I think it was Roy Williams who said it. Like, Mike is the only guy I could see, or the only guy I've ever seen that could turn it on and turn it off. And he never freaking turned it off. Like, that's such an old, classic, hard knocks basketball coach that, like, he doesn't even have to swear. He, he just says a supplement word and you know he he means it he got his point across and the highlights from you know every every situation he found himself in was like even in the whole series for everyone the highlights were another magnificent spectacle too like I don't care if it's 30 years ago in some cases almost 40 years ago you could tell these guys were special, him and Scotty. It was unreal to watch. Another good um, highlight to take note of was, uh, I think, I'm not, I don't quite remember where it was, if it was in preseason or if they just started the regular season, but when Michael was in the hotel and he was looking for his teammates, that story was something that resonated with me too, being a former athlete, even at if it's at the lowest level possible. But it's something that really separates you from being good to being great. He walks, he's, look, he's walking around the hotel and he's trying to find some of his teammates, you know, just hang out, play cards, whatever. Mike loved cards. Not looking at him. Now I can't stop gambling. But he knocks on the door and he's at the door and he's waiting. And inside, he hears a shh, 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 someone's at the door. And then someone asks, who is it? And he's like, it's Mike. It's MJ, let me in. And they're like, oh, okay, give me a second. And then they open the door, and he walks in, and he sees cocaine on the table, some guys doing blow, some guys smoking weed, a couple of girls in there. It's him telling the story. 
and he's like, I don't, you could tell the way he told it. He's like, I don't do any of that stuff. You know, he's a 21 year old kid. He, that's definitely changed, but he avoided those distractions. And that's something that we as fans don't always understand either. Like these guys have access to that all the time because they have money. They have evenings after the games. And I mean, it's a little harder in season and nights back to back, but some guys still went out and partied. It didn't matter. You had to avoid those distractions if you really wanted to excel at what you were trying to do. And that was a clear example of him being able to push away those distractions and be like, no, I'm going to focus on being the best player I can be. Now, is that true? In the beginning, maybe it was. In the end, toward the end of his career, definitely not. But it's a good lesson to take away. Like sometimes you do have to sacrifice those, the fun things, or you know, embrace the things that aren't as attractive, like you know, staying in the gym longer, eating right, not doing all those crazy things that you know all those rich athletes do. You know, when they're not in quarantine, but that was a powerful takeaway for me as well. Another thing, too, that I thought was extremely funny was uh, the criticism he got on draft night. Like, they interviewed Walt Frazier, uh, point guard for New York Knicks. Like, shut your mouth, Walt. You haven't done anything ever. The Knicks are like a joke of an NBA franchise, minus the late 80s, early 90s, when they got, you know, pummeled by the, the bad boys, the Pistons, and then the Bulls. Like, you guys are perennial losers, but whatever. He's a Hall of Famer. He says, uh, I don't I don't think there's a such thing as a one-man team, and they're not going to change. He's not going to change the franchise. And Mark Eaton was a center for the Utah Jazz, I believe. He said the same thing. There's no such thing as a one-man a one-man team in the NBA. Um, Mike dunked on Mike, or Mike dunked on Mark Eaton's head. You know, a few years later, Eaton's like seven-one. Jordan's six-six. Forty-eight-inch vert helps, but it's like Mike wanted the challenge of being told he couldn't do something, and I wish I was that motivated to do anything, yet alone something just to prove someone wrong. Uh, the last thing I have from episode one is probably um, the over the course of the 80 for his rookie season, it was kind of interesting to see how a guy that became so psychotic and egotistical in his everyday life kind of came with a humble beginning. Like, Mike is the ultimate competitor in anything. I You can't name a better competitor than Michael Jordan. No one. Don't try, because you won't. It's just not there. He is the best competitor ever. And it was interesting to see how, like, he came into the locker room almost a little shy to be flamboyant with his words. He knew he wouldn't have had a voice, and he's like, I have to prove my worth with my play 
And it's so crazy that he was always confident enough to say those things like he did in the later years where he was a prick. But but he knew it all along. And once again, the highlights too. Like I saw about 35 cradle dunks and not one of them was underappreciated for me. The guy was a stud, and, like, I would never got sick of watching his highlights. Oh, before I get into episode two, the fashion these guys had was whack as hell. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a more boxy suit my entire life. And what was Mike doing with the beret? Like, the fashion sense was just chaotic. I think Steve Kerr looked the most normal. He just wore sweatpants all the time. So, like, I don't know. Mike changed the uniforms. I mean, he made that popular. Not the short shorts look anymore. But uh, everything else, I don't know. Like, even the clothes he wore on the golf course. And what was that putting stance, too? Jesus. I'm gonna throw your... Wow, oh, man, I couldn't even do that. I'd hurt myself putting like that. But anyways, okay, episode two. This one, I was thinking about how to do this one, both of them, how to do this podcast. And I thought they kind of went in between on, in between uh, each character, I'd say. Like in between Michael and Scotty. We kind of talked about them both. Mike's going to get most of the attention in this documentary just because of, what he was and how he played and his personality. But Scottie Pippen was right up there with him. And Scottie Pippen was kind of the focus in episode two, even though they did go back to Mike as a child toward the end of the episode. But this one's all about Scottie. And, oh my God, he was done dirty with that contract. Now, I know he signed up for it. He needed the guaranteed money, and he wanted a long-term deal. But if there is ever a team-friendly deal, and you need to... Like, that is the most team-friendly deal I've ever heard of. Seven years, $18 million for, I'd say, the second-best player in the league at the time. A top-20 player all-time. Six-time champion. Hall of Famer. The guy led the team in assists, steals. He was second in points, rebounds, and minutes. Six on the team in salary and 122nd in the league. That's mind-blowing to me. And I didn't know why. Or I didn't know that's what caused so much resentment for Scottie Pippen. I knew he had some trouble with management going into that but I had no idea about the numbers that's absurd to me like that one fly today like I said I know he kind of shot himself in the foot because even the owner was like dude don't sign this contract you're gonna regret it and he's like I need the money I want it guaranteed but I feel like management could have worked with him and restructured that too like for that caliber of talent, for that low ball of money, 
Like, I would feel like I'm robbing him if I didn't reach out and say, hey, we're not going to give you everything of what you owe, but we'll work with you. Like, that just seems like highway robbery to me. I mean, I would be livid if that was the situation I found myself in. But I don't feel like the way he handled it either was the best way to do Because, I mean, the best way to do it. Every athlete is taught that the team comes first. And that carries weight until you go to the pros and it's all about you. It's about how much money you can make because you're providing for yourself, your family, what you want to achieve. And your money is kind of your motivation to improve and excel. I mean, the only the best of the best get... I mean, now in the NBA, they have supermax deals, but that's what you want. That's what everybody wants. And, like, why should you take a pay cut if you're entitled to not need a pay cut? Like, Scottie Pippen, is a tw- at the time, Michael Jordan was, like, $30 million a year. Scotty was at least 20, and he was getting paid $2.5 a, a year, a little less than that. For a, a Hall of Famer, I don't know. It just didn't seem right. I see where he's coming from, but like I said, I feel like you could have handled that a little differently. And it's also one thing to resent someone for how they've treated you or what they've done to you and how they've wronged you, but being open about it and taking your personal business and letting it affect the team, eh, I don't know. Now, I I did think it was funny, also a bad way of handling it, but really funny how he was like, I'm not going to let this this injury ruin my summer. And then he gets his surgery three months later, so he misses time and he has fun during the summer. Like if they if that's not screwing your team over, I don't know what is. But I thought that was funny how they told that story too. And like they did with Mike, they introduced uh, Scotty's upbringing too, and that was an incredible story. Like the poverty and the disabilities in his family, um, the journey he had to go through to you know even make it to college, and then. He's playing at an NAIA school. He gets drafted fifth in the NBA, the 1987 NBA draft. That was really cool, too. And it just shows you, like, how sports and, or like, organized sports and other community activities can just be an outlet for some of these people that live in you know, really shitty home situations. And it's about your mindset, making the best of what you have and trying to spin it into something positive instead of, you know, being stuck in the negative. So I thought that was really cool. And ESPN did a really good job of showing how that story developed or how that started for Scotty and how it evolved into him, you know, cucking the, GM of the Bulls in 1998, 11 years later. And that guy was no slouch either. I think I've seen a lot of like ultimate savagery when it comes to dunks. Him dunking on Patrick Ewing was absolutely fucking disrespectful. I 
there's one other dunk that comes to my mind with just the utter disrespect and disregard for your character, and that was when Shaq dunked on uh, that Dudley guy. Just gives him a shove, and then Dudley throws the ball at him, screaming, fuck you, and they get teed up. But that dunk on Ewing, another Hall of Famer, was absolutely absurd. And it was the same thing. Like I think they got into a brawl after it, too. But like Scotty's no slouch, and I think he... He was underrated at the time, and he's still underrated too. Like even all these all-time team debates, I don't, I didn't want to go here, but it's like Scottie Pippen could guard anybody in the NBA today if he played now instead of back then. It's not close. If you think it's not, you're an idiot. It's just that simple. Like the guy could compete today. The last thing I want to talk about isn't. Scotty, but it's Mike in that second season when he broke his foot and he was rehabbing it and it just shows how competitive he really was I mean I've mentioned it like probably 20 times already you're probably sick of hearing me repeat the same words but it's a theme that is going to be repeated a lot and it's a powerful one because this story this instance right here is like so foreign to Michael and even as fans like we understand hey sometimes you got to just wear your lumps and get a good pick and start the process and the Bulls were in that process I mean they were a 30 win playoff team they were bad because Mike missed 60 some games I think I think that was the number I think they said 64 but I'm not quite sure but he came back for the playoffs against the Celtics no slouch of a team Current NBA fans disrespect old teams. This guy had this Celtics team in the mid 80s. They ran the 80s with the Lakers. You had Danny Ainge, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish on that team. Absurdly talented team. Four Hall of Famers. And Jordan drops 49 on them. One of the best defensive units in the entire NBA at the time and the Bulls show them a good game and then the just the the nuts on Jordan are just he's got the biggest balls in the entire world he plays golf with Danny Ainge the day before the game and he tells hey I got something for DJ watch this and then Jordan sets a playoff record 63 points in game two. They lose 63 games, a record that still stands to this day. It's never been broken. I don't think it ever will be either. I think LeBron scored 51. Michael Jordan scored 60 points in the playoff game five times. It's absurd. On a team that shouldn't have even been there. I mean, I'm just really sad that they didn't release it all at once because, I mean, I had to work today, but I would have watched that in one sitting. I would have, like, not went to bed. It was that, in, like, and it's not even just a quarantine quarantine thing either. It's someone who loves sports can get into that, and it's a fantastic story, and the history there, and, you know, the highlights and everything involved with it 
It's special. It's interesting. It's fun to watch. It's exciting. Like, I don't know how you can't appreciate greatness, man. I am not looking forward to Twitter all week because you're still going to have these nerdy little 15-year-olds. Oh, LeBron's a goat. LeBron's a goat. And all the kids my age, people my age, are like, yeah, LeBron's so much better. It's like, dude, fuck off. This By the time this is over, you're going to be changing your tune. And if you don't change your tune, you're a dumbass. Well, I'm assuming everyone in America watched this show. So, I mean, I think that's a wrap for episodes one and two of The Last Dance. I will be covering this whole docuseries extensively. I will be talking about it on Tuesdays and get that out to you guys. Going forward, I'm going to try to keep a schedule on Tuesday, Friday. Do Tuesdays and Fridays. Hopefully I can stay pretty consistent with that and get relevant new things out there. I don't want to just you know, cover TV shows the whole time, but right now it's kind of hard to not cover anything else. So we're going to go from there, and like I said, hopefully a Tuesday-Friday schedule going forward. Plus, 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 this is huge, absolutely huge. I am looking for suggestions, content ideas, things I can talk about, things that you think other people would find relevant. I'd love to talk about it. My interest for knowledge and learning and just about anything is endless. I'm a hugely curious person. I'll talk about it. Let me know. DM me. Hit me up. Whatever. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at Jake Sawinski 8 J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8. And I'll talk to you guys Friday. Peace. Who be acting too bold? Take a seat. Hope you're ready for the next episode. Hey, smoke weed every day.